Hello. Once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Josh Stefflin. Thank you for joining us for episode five of our Bride of Monster Bracket, the beginning of round two. And as like last time, we watched companion films for round two to compare to the movies we watched with this one. Yeah. So moving on from round one, we have Colossal as well as Drag Me to Hell. The companion films respectively are... Attack of the 50-Foot Woman from 1958, as well as Tormented from 1960. Interesting fact, Tormented is in the public domain, so you can just watch it right now for free. It's just on YouTube. If you go to the Wikipedia page for the film, you can watch the whole thing right there. I'm not entirely sure what Wikipedia you to, but you know, maybe you just want to watch something. I mean, I enjoyed it. Okay. Maybe it has to be in the mood. I wasn't feeling it, but we'll get there. Yeah. First, we have to talk about Colossal and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I guess. So, Attack the 50-Foot Woman, as you may have guessed from the title, there's a 50-Foot Woman and she attacks, but not until the last five minutes of the film. Ten, but yes. <laughs> Time is fake. It's not fake, apparently, as aliens who land in a small town in California? Yeah, California. Yeah. California desert. And they get into the, the squabbles of the richest woman in the area and her husband is having an affair with some strumpet down at the bar and she goes, goes off in a huff and gets hit by the radiation from this spaceship thing and starts growing very large and her husband and his strumpet lover are like we should murder her and then take all of her money and it doesn't go well for them and then everyone dies actually yeah yeah everyone dies yeah yeah like except for the doctors and the sheriff and deputy yeah but yeah all the other main characters die all Mm -hmm. three of them yeah i was honestly surprised Surprised about how many parallels there were between Colossal and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman? It's got to be intentional, right? Because it's got abusive relationships, alcoholism. Asia is kind of a backdrop setting for some of the plots. Because her diamond is like the star of India. Mm-hmm. The alien ship runs on diamonds. because it's, it's the 50, that's just how things are. This is very much a like nothing happens sort of film. This is a like 66-ish minute film. Mm-hmm. And there's only about 10 minutes of Giant Woman. Mm-hmm. There's like... Five minutes of Giant Man. It's just like Alistair Crowley's stunt double being poorly CGI'd opposite someone who's trying to shoot him with a gun. Yeah, not quite CGI's. It's just composite film, but all of the compositing is very transparent. Mm -hmm. I mean, admittedly, 50s effects, I get it. But but I feel like if your thing is giant people, you should make sure the giant people look good. Mm -hmm. It's very unfortunate that there's so little giant woman in this film. Honestly, most of the, like, homages and spoofs of this from, like, cartoons and other films have more giant woman in them than this. Mm -hmm. I will say I am on her side for uh, everything. Oh, yeah. She deserves to attack them. Yeah. Honestly, I think the film treats her terribly. In general, there's this air of women are not capable of thinking rationally or for themselves. And it's a pity, too, because it has that thing from older movies where you you kind of don't expect much from the female characters, but then she has, like, at the start of the film, a lot of drive, a lot of motivation. She is able to kind of negotiate people into the place she needs them to be, but the plot won't let her be as strong as she kind of clearly is. Yeah, and they, like, literally drug her to keep her out of the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's really unfortunate, which means Colossal is a fantastic update. Oh, absolutely. I think because, honestly, Fizzfoot Owen is a more hairy story than anything else. It's about his machinations trying to get her money, and then, whoops, that went badly for me, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, actually Nancy's story. Mm-hmm. And I get it, because of, the, like, the limits of the budget, she has to be off-screen, just be, like, a giant hand that's asleep, mm-hmm. but... 
I do like, though, that in the update, we still get a lot of internality from Oscar. We understand why Oscar is the way he is. We understand most of his motivations. So it's not like they just completely forgot about the Harry analog. Right. There isn't really a honey analog. Like, it's... The abusive relationship in Fitzy Woman is a married couple who... Borderline gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it's not an explicitly romantic relationship in Colossal. It's... I don't like. I would not call it romantic at all. I actually really like the lack of romantic and sexual tension between Glory and Oscar. I think it makes the film more interesting. It. I think it broadens the watchability of the film because it's not specifically a romantic partner who is doing this abuse. Mm-hmm. I can see shades of Oscar being upset that Gloria isn't dating him. In some of his interactions with her old boyfriend? Well, well of course, she's, she's capable. Because anybody can do this, right? No, I mean, it's worthy of job as anything else. Well, I'm uh, glad you find it to be worthy. No, I just, she's never done anything like this before, you know. Hey, guys, can you please not talk about me like I'm not here? It's never at the forefront. It's just like a possible read, which I think is really good. That's a yeah. better way to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also some of his stuff with Joel. There are, like, little bits of it there, but it's never explicit. Which makes it... More interesting because it means he has to like be a character with wants and needs beyond just like hot woman. Oh. It more fully rounds out Oscar's character and it improves the way in which we understand him because we have to understand him beyond just his libido. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Harry and Fitzgerald Owen is libido and money. He's an incredibly simple character. I mean, pretty much all of the characters in that film are incredibly simple. Nancy is the most complex and unfortunately she gets... Very little screen time. Yeah. And quite a lot of screen time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's that thing from movies of this era where people react to things that are strange with just screaming. If I saw a 50-foot man walk around, I wouldn't necessarily scream. I'd just go, huh, I want to be not right next to that. But I wouldn't, like, stand there and yell? Yeah. I don't know. People do that a lot. I do think it's really neat that the screech of the brakes and Nancy's scream kind of bleed together in that scene. Yeah. I think that's some interesting audio engineering. I really wish that at the end, they would have had a allusion to the line from End of King Kong. Yeah. It was beauty killed the beast. I I think it would have been very appropriate there, kind of like turned it on its head a little bit. That would require them to realize how bad Harry was. No one did, I don't think. The, um, The butler, I guess, but yeah. I think that's a very interesting difference between both of our older films this week is whereas in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, Harry isn't really seen as despicable by most of the cast, at least by the end in Tormented, our shitty man Tom is. Mm -hmm. Whereas Colossal, you know, makes it clear pretty quickly that Oscar is very, very bad. I don't know. I wouldn't say it very quickly. It's honestly this slow build-up, and then a shift. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I say, like, the characters come around pretty quickly when that shift happens, I should say. Yes. Yeah. I really like how Oscar lulls Gloria into this false sense of security. Mm-hmm. One more pleasant similarity is the kind of not-that-well-holding-up effects. Sorry, the inconsistently good effects. Because, mm-hmm. like, this one has some, like, actually really interesting-looking shots at sometimes. Yeah, and honestly, the giant hand isn't awful. Mm-hmm. I had a very good giant hand prop. 
Mm-hmm. But um, there's quite a bit of like people who are semi-transparent while giants that go on. Yeah, it's like they're fighting these giant ghosts. Mm-hmm. Digging into Colossal a little bit more specifically, one of the things I really love about the film is how the film gives you a crash course on what Gloria's like in the, the first bit of the film. Like, she's explaining to Tim, like, where she was last night, and, like, she mentions she her friend, and Tim's like, Who the fuck is Georgia? Just... That there is this constant ebb and flow of people into and out of Gloria's life, and Tim can't even keep track of it. Mm-hmm. She picks up an air mattress when she's staying at her parents' place because it's just devoid of furniture. And she is so tired and just so out of it that first night that she can't even figure out how to inflate it and just sleeps on top of a deflated air mattress, which... That's, like, rock bottom. <laughs> That's the kind of thing they put in, like, books you read in film class. So like, this is how the creators are showing us what this person is like. This is an object lesson. Here's a paragraph about the air mattress. Mm-hmm. And broadening from that, they do a good job of using the furniture in her house to kind of show where she's at as a person. Like, it's a good way to, like, track the progress she's making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as she begins getting a better handle on things, her life becomes more full. Mm-hmm. Literally. And same with the bar. Like the bar starts at like this half full place. She brings, she helps make the bar more full. But then uh, Oscar goes off his rocker and burns it all down. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize until like forty seconds ago when I started noticing it. But, like they do a good job of using like furniture as a metaphor for uh, interior soundness. Mm-hmm. Although speaking of the bar, there's this one line where Gloria says, "Oh, it's like a fucking Wes Anderson movie in here, Oscar. I love it." And I'm like. What Wes Anderson films have you been watching? Because <laughs> this looks nothing like that. I do want to watch Wes Anderson's Colossal. <laughs> or just a Western from Wes Anderson. Mm, sure. The good, the bad, and the Wes Anderson. <laughs> the good, the Wes, and the Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> How the West was won. So Go you know, West, young man. The quick and the West. <laughs> uh, from the peanut gallery, A Fistful of Andersons. <sighs> anyway, I promise I'm done. For a few Wes Andersons more. I don't know. <laughs> but I think we didn't talk about last time. I mean, we talked about how Oscar is like intimidating. Like, we didn't really talk about that really great scene where he just shows up in Gloria's house because he has had a spare key this whole time and it hasn't come up until now, mm-hmm. which both makes sense in context, but also is just a good like reveal that he just has all this access to her as a person, both like literally and also emotionally. Well, yeah, he like attempts the apology by just like, Providing her with a bunch of fucking furniture. Mm. And she's like, I don't want it. Get it out of here. And she has to go and confront him at his place about it. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the contrast because we get to his place and it's completely cluttered. Mm-hmm. He's got too much going on. He's got stuff he can't get rid of. He is spending so much time thinking about all the stuff that belongs to other people that he can't get himself where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about this more so I could uh, have comments about Joel's house, but I don't have much for that. I mean, we only get one scene in Joel's house, and yeah. I don't... It's not that memorable. Yeah. So can I get into my, like, dark, sad Joel headcanon? Sure. So we talked about how it was a little bit weird that Oscar was very, like, hostile to Joel making a pass at glory at one point. Right around there is when he uh, mentioned... Hey! What the hell's wrong with you? Huh? Am I going to kick your ass Oscar? again? My headcanon is that... At some point, Joel was drunk and made a pass at a girl and it, like maybe went further than that. To what extent 
can is up for debate, but it was severe enough to, for Oscar to like beat him up. But instead of being like, oh, you did this shitty thing, get out of my life, it's either the shitty thing, I will keep holding it over you because that is the way that I can control you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Just as I said with Garth and his cocaine or heroin, one of the two. I'm pretty sure it's cocaine. Whatever the drug thing is. Opium. <laughs> I definitely like that. It could also play into um, Oscar's failed previous relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we don't know. I'm glad that there isn't like, there's an opportunity to have a similar kind of thing with, right after Oscar is like reading the riot act on Garth to have kind of a similar thing that just makes everyone awful. I think that wouldn't have been fun. I like the idea that you have like someone who is kind of spineless, but not necessarily like an awful person for sure. Yeah. So this film leaves open what it needs to and explains what is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. It leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And I think that's one of the ways that this movie kind of asks a lot from its audience. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hand out explanations easily. The beginning of the story is quite a slow burn. It's quite a while before Gloria even realizes that she's the monster. Mm-hmm. And then even... After that, it's a little while before you're like, okay, well, she's figured it out. She just has to not go back. What's the tension now? Mm-hmm. Beyond the fact that there, there's like still 15 minutes of movie left. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what it does, that classic horror movie thing where we see the monster for five minutes at the start of the film and then just don't for the you know, a while. Mm-hmm. It lowers my expectations for a movie because it tells me that they don't know how to create a compelling narrative without promising us that there's going to be a monster at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. As it were. Not a problem here. I think Gloria is compelling and they do a good job of like, making this interesting character to begin mm-hmm. with. This story could be good without the kaiju. So I don't think they needed to like give that like pledge in there. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, trying to figure out how exactly this kind of character study of Gloria is going to play into this kaiju attacking soul. Yeah. And trying to follow the breadcrumbs there is interesting. It is not bad, but also I guess because I'm the kind of person who knows what's going to happen in movies I read the descriptions uh, in the, the Netflix box or yeah. or whatever. I knew there was going to be a monster, so I didn't necessarily need that promise. But I guess that movies aren't written as some people have already seen the trailers, mm-hmm. which is wild to me. It is 2020. Well, to be fair, you have to, most people make most of the film before they make the trailers. Yeah, that's fair. Although, one thing that like butts up against my suspension of disbelief for the film... There are a bunch of, like, grown adults drinking in a playground at 8 in the morning, and no one has called the cops on them. <laughs> yeah. This is a small town in, I, I'm assuming, upstate New York. It just doesn't make sense to me that they just let a bunch of drunks hang out in the playground that early in the morning. I can't remember. Do we see kids? Like, is it is school in session right now? I mean, I would assume so. It's fall. Sure. Okay, yeah, it is, yeah. I guess if it was summer, that might be a little more believable, but yeah, I think, yeah. The plot needs that to happen. I don't recall seeing any kids in the film at all. Like, maybe, like, one or two in, like, a background scene, but mm. they're not prominent. Yeah. Is it possible that maybe, like, that school is shut down, shuttered, for whatever reason? The vibe I get off this town is that it is kind of, not like, not just like a dying town, but, like, that it is a town that is not, like, economically booming. I could see that they're consolidating some schools into, like, one school. But that doesn't make any sense, because 30 years ago, there wasn't even a playground there. It was just oh, out in the woods. Yep, you're right. That's true. Never mind. We could be talking about not even school-age kids. Like, where are the parents with, like, small kids who aren't in school yet taking their kids? That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 
it's a little bit of an oversight and it makes me the world of the film is a little bit less lived in but they do some other really great stuff like we talked about last episode with the memes about the kaiju Mm -hmm. that reverse that for me so and it could just be a thing that like a lot of the filmmakers don't have kids don't have like friends who have kids in their lives so they didn't consider how the kids would complain to things this might also be me complaining about that time that i didn't quite get a perfect score in my financial wellness class because i'm my like fully full life plan you didn't mention how kids would play into your finances i'm like no teacher that was intentional it reminds me of last time we talked about Drag Me to Hell, where a criticism of yours was Christine not having any female friends. Mm. I think a similar criticism could be here. It's like there's what seem like no kids in this town. <laughs> and not a lot of old folks either, generally. We talked about last time how there's like not a lot of like, the town is not that lived in. Mm-hmm. The parents are very conveniently not here. Mm-hmm. Imagine this movie if the parents were in it. I, I can like dig this movie for, for having some contrivances, but I don't really care that much. It's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge the thin veneer of narrative causality. Yeah. Hey, so how do we feel about Gloria and the fact that she definitely kills at least a decent number of people over the course of this film, mostly unintentionally? Does she get off too easy? Is the movie not critical enough of that? I'm not necessarily saying that the film isn't critical enough. I do think that the film maybe doesn't spend enough time with... Gloria looking at that guilt and kind of really absorbing it. Mm. I do think that for the most part, she makes up for it by taking care of Oscar, who it distinctly is causing more damage. Absolutely. And like, I know this is kind of a staple of superhero and action movies. The yeah. hero does a lot of damage too, but... You just kind of have to not think about the collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we can see the people of Soul's reaction to... Gloria's kaiju Sona as kind of this barometer for how she feels about the whole situation, where her mind is at, where her guilt is at, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. But like I said, I don't think we necessarily dig far enough into like Gloria's emotional state or the process of like restorative justice. Yes, um, yeah, I think that is definitely a thing that would need to be dealt with. But also, there was not really time to do so while Oscar's around, so mm-hmm. that would kind of be a like after the fact thing. Yeah. Like, I assume it still works. I assume she could go back and... I'm not sure how her monster sona could help Soul rebuild, maybe, I guess. If it, like, held... I, I mean, it only works in, like, a 4x4 four four block area, roughly. Four, yeah, uh, for, like, a five-minute window. There's not yeah. a lot of time to get things done. I don't know. But that is also kind of a staple of kaiju movies. Like, Godzilla kills, like, a bunch of towns, and then, like, King Ghidorah shows up, and so Godzilla becomes a hero because he doesn't want to eat people as much as King Ghidorah does. Mm-hmm. The flexibility of heroism and villainousness uh, is just always in flux in kaiju films. Yeah. Speaking of the flexibility of heroism and villainy, want to talk about Drag Me to Hell and Tormented? Yeah. So, uh, Tormented follows Tom. He is engaged to a, a woman, I believe Meg, and his old girlfriend shows up maybe a week or so before the wedding. Confesses her love, and she's like, don't marry her, marry me, we should be together. And Tom pushes her off, and she has some dirt on him, attempts to blackmail him to, you know, get back with her. They have a little bit of an altercation and a fight. They're having this altercation in this old lighthouse. And they go outside, and Vi leans against the railing, and it falls, and she's, like, hanging on for dear life, and is asking Tom for help. And Tom just ignores her, and she falls and dies. The rest of the film is Tom dealing with the 
guilt over having done nothing and being haunted by the ghost of Vi. Vi uses her mystical powers to get someone else to blackmail Tom, and he actively murders that guy and is seen by Meg's little sister, Sandy. When he is attempting to recreate the accident with Vi with Sandy so that he can marry Meg, Tom falls over instead, and he dies. His body washes up on shore next to Vi's, and we see the wedding ring that Tom had lost earlier in the film on Vi's finger, insinuating that now and death they are together. Running theme in both the flashback movies for this week that women just really want to keep marrying this guy who clearly does not love them. Yeah, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Before we like get too far into Tormented, I do want to talk about why we specifically chose this film. So pegging down a good analog for Drag Me to Hell is difficult. The monster is a little non-traditional. Like, we have elements of a Romani curse, we have elements of a haunting, we have elements of demonic influence, Satanism, that sort of thing. And it's all kind of just jumbled together. It's not really one thing. And when we were looking for stuff, Tormented felt like it fit the best. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of Lamia films out there. Yeah. I mean, we could have watched Stardust, which we should have done anyway, (laughs) just for the funsies. Yeah. Yeah, I also like, specifically did not want to focus on an older film dealing with a Romani curse because that just... Uh, no one wants that. That's not fun. We're asking for trouble. Although, ironically, one of the better examples of that is The Wolfman, which we talked about last year, which subverts the trope by... He doesn't become a werewolf because of a Romani curse. It's a Romani who was cursed to be a werewolf bit him. Mm-hmm. And the Romani woman is a sp- specifically trying to help him overcome the curse. Mm-hmm. So we kind of went more for the abstract idea of like being tormented and haunted and your own misdeeds coming back to haunt you. It's kind of the monster this time. Yeah. Compared to Oculus, which was our like haunted object film, this is more like this person is haunted, mm-hmm. which fits better because the hauntings and tormenting in this film, as well as Dragon Me to Hell, are not location specific. Yeah. I mean, it is all centered on the island, especially the lighthouse, but only because the characters are there. Yeah. I will say, Tormented really wants to get the most out of that lighthouse set. They go back there so many times. Honestly, this probably would work really well as a like flashback movie for The Lighthouse that came out last year, year before, which is also about a man haunted by the guilt over a murder, maybe, and also finding women who are also seaweed and seagulls. Sadly, this movie does not have Willem Dafoe doing a two-minute rant about Poseidon. <laughs> God, the Lighthouse is so good. We also got some parallels here. This one also has the protagonist trying to marry somebody with very rich parents who Mm -hmm. look down on them. Yeah. Also has a wise woman who is here to tell you all about the mystical. Yeah, I really think it's interesting that we have this blind character, Mrs. Ellis, taking up the spiritually enlightened medium role that we have in uh, Drag Me to Hell. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a trope that people who are unable to see are able to like use other senses to perceive things that sighted people are unaware of. Mm-hmm. It's not always great, but I don't want to speak for anyone on whether it's good or bad. And honestly, I maybe I'm misremembering. I don't think Miss is a lot of like you know seeing the unseen or whatever. It's more yeah. like she like has knowledge because she's been around the block a few times, so she knows about some ghost stuff. Yeah. She is the only one who really directly interacts with the ghost of Vi, though, mm-hmm. besides Tom. 
specifically Vi like leads her up the lighthouse and tries to get her to walk off the edge where she died. But Tom is a dear friend and I want to ask you to leave him alone. Are you listening to me? You might at least have the politeness to answer. My, that's a nasty laugh you have. What tricks are you up to now? I honestly really like Mrs. Ellis, and not just because she has a seeing eye dog named Fritz. <laughs> I, I do have in my notes that they are the best characters in this film. Oh, I had uh, Protect Sandy at all costs, but <laughs> Mrs. Ellis too. Uh, we'll get to Sandy. I have very different feelings on Sandy than you do. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so while I think Mrs. Ellis definitely falls into stereotypes, something about her felt more fleshed out than her stereotype would imply. I can't quite put my finger on what that is. Yeah. In general, I think she was just one of the more com- characters of this film she has more going on it's really unfortunate that kind of about halfway through the film as soon as nick the ferryman shows up that she's kind of just gone from the plot Mm -hmm. but nick is the ferryman who took vi over to the island and then gets involved with blackmailing tom because he realizes that he can make a quick buck and he also gets murdered for his trouble i also really like nick think Joe Turkle is doing something a little interesting. I will say, like, him calling everyone dad throws me off for a little bit. Yep. Say dad. What did you say the handle of the guy getting spliced was? Yep. daddy like, he's, okay, he's a beatnik. That that makes sense. Yeah. But I suppose calling everybody dad is weird. Yeah. It is not as bad as calling everybody daddy, but... <laughs> Anyway, so I think that I like about this, for a while it's unclear how much there's an actual haunting happening and how much it's just in Tom's head, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I really like that aspect. But yeah, up until we get some like concrete evidence of things seen by others, everything going on in this film could very easily just be in Tom's head and him dealing with the guilt. I think the thing that first gives proof that there is definitely a ghost happening is, for reasons, Sandy's trying to get Tom to put the wedding ring on her finger, and he puts it on a hand, but it's just off screen because there's a piano between the camera and the characters, and he puts it on a finger, and then it's gone. And we realized it was putting it on Vi's finger, but he thought it was putting it on Sandy's, and it's a really good moment of him going, like, but wait, whose finger was that? Also, we're going to put a pin in that line. We're going to save that for a week. Okay. You'll see. You will see. I do really like that because that's another parallel between this and Drag Me to Hell. I didn't get into it last week because I wanted to have enough time to talk about it. There is a fan theory about Drag Me to Hell that the haunting is completely in Christine's head and that the psychosis is due to stress as well as a eating disorder. So she is seeing things that aren't there. She is perceiving events as more dramatic than they actually are. Like for someone with eating disorders, nosebleeds are relatively common. Like like the one that she gets in the bank after she's cursed. But there's nothing from anyone else's reactions to actually believe that she's like having this projectile nosebleed. And she's just perceiving it as much bigger than it actually is. The way you would if you're very stressed and having nosebleeds in front of your boss, mm-hmm. who may or may not be trying to promote you. Even with the ending of her like getting dragged to hell, it, it could very be easily just her being hit by the train after falling onto the tracks. Mm-hmm. Everything could be interpreted as her perception's not lining up with reality due to her condition. Yeah. 
Which works because a lot of the people around her who could provide help to her aren't because they're not experiencing what she's experiencing, mm-hmm. which is a pretty realistic way of understanding how all her states of mind or psychosis yeah. can kind of manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. Some of the reasons that people feel that it is talking about eating disorders, um, the film uses lots of vomit in some of its more like gory scenes. We see a picture of Christine when she was younger and she is noticeably fatter than she is now. When she is eating dessert over at her boyfriend's parents' house, that's when the eye shows up and she physically recoils and can't eat. There's a lot of biting imagery happening with the old woman and her her horrible gums and the goats. Whenever the Lammy attacks while she's at home, she's in the kitchen. And really, there are long sequences that it's not exactly what the parallel she'd be experiencing would be. So like the whole exorcism sequence, I'm not quite sure what that would be if this is all in her head. But I could also imagine that being just a very vivid dream or something. Yeah. So. Well, it also, the theory specifically calls out that her boyfriend's not allowed to go in there with her. Mm. So it's just the medium and a few other people that she has never met before. Right. But I'm not 100% convinced of the theory. I think it's compelling and interesting. But I think a more traditional read is also completely reasonable. I think it's the kind of thing where it can be more understood from a like hauntological lens than a literal lens. Like mm-hmm. this is uh, exploring the idea of an eating disorder through a ghostly lens as opposed to just straight up like one-to-one parallel. Mm-hmm. In the same way that in Tormented, we're exploring the idea of like being guilty about letting someone die in front of you by seeing these visions and putting your ring on a child's hand it's weird don't like that yeah i do think it's interesting the differences we get whereas in tormented a lot of the haunting is psychological tom is to a certain extent putting himself through it whereas it's a lot more physical in drag me to hell mm-hmm. and i Raimi's think not like a restrained man <laughs> yeah like part of that is sam Raimi. part of that is it's much later and so we have better practical and visual effects but I also think part of it is just exploring the guilt that Tom is going through. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Quick sidebar. I'm looking through Bertie Gordon, uh, the director of Tormented, and he has a lot, like, a lot of really just fun, schlocky films. Serpent Island, King Dinosaur, The Cyclops, The Amazing Colossal Man, War of the Colossal Beasts. We could have watched either of those. He is known for like his giant monster or giant person films, but he did not direct Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, <laughs> which is interesting. Also, his daughter is playing Sandy in Tormented. Hmm, cool. I really do not like Sandy. It's not necessarily Sandy's fault. I just think it's super fucking creepy that she wants to marry Tom. You're right. That is creepy. I was mostly won over by her, like, being a stage magician. <laughs> well, with the fake mustache. If I close the doors to the magic cabinet and say the magic words and tap it with my magic wand, abracadabra, we no longer have an empty cabinet. It is now filled with jelly beans. That's very fair. It's a very good scene. But I totally get that her older sister is marrying this guy. And because of the sort of culture she's growing up in, that like, oh, you're you're supposed to grow up and marry a nice man. So that's something that she's supposed to aspire to. The extent to which she does is very uncomfortable. Yeah. And she is very young. It's not like, she's like, what, eight? Yeah, around then, Mm -hmm. if not younger. Uh, astute eagle-eared listeners will note that whenever I see a child in a movie, I assume they're eight. The ages are eight, 16, and adult. <laughs> and babby. I would estimate that Sandy is somewhere between the ages of like 
six and eight, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is quite dark that this child witnesses a murder. Yeah, and then our point of view character then attempts to murder her so he can marry her sister still. Yeah, uh, quite dark. Yeah. Quite dark. It is surprisingly dark. Mm-hmm. More funny, less dark. During the marriage, when things go wrong, uh, a wind blows through and changes the priest book from, like, marriage ceremony to burial of the dead ceremony, which is very funny and I love it. Oh, I love that scene. It's probably one of the best in the film. Like, speak now or forever, hold your peace. And Sandy, like, looks like she's about to say something but doesn't. And then the church doors open and this wind blows through and wilts all of the flowers, including the bride holding the bouquet. And then she starts screaming and then the wedding is just off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. I Honestly, I think th- those are some of the best effects of the film. Yeah. Uh, there are some not great ones. Most of the ones where we have bits of Vi's anatomy just free form floating. Mm-hmm. So Vi shows up in two forms after she's dead. Her like spectral form where she's like semi-transparent and just like going, oh, I'm a ghost. Uh, those look great. Those are fine. Those are beautiful. Yeah. Then there's ones where just like her head not transparent and like kind of slapped on there. Yeah. It just doesn't work. If her head had been transparent, it might have been fine. There's a really fun bit where she's bothering Tom by like two of her on both sides, just like both yelling at him like the end of I'm Mud. Oh, one more thing I will say for Tormented. Uh, the music is kind of not the right choice. <laughs> the whole thing is like very like upbeat jazz club music. To be fair, Tom is a jazz pianist. Yes, but you don't want upbeat jazz when you're murdering a person. I don't know. I've definitely seen some films where that works. Right, but those are using them ironically. They hadn't invented irony at this point in film history. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> The effects in this are definitely a little not great. In fact, this film was at one point featured on Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to see someone take the piss out of the film even more than us, you can go watch that. I believe it's season four. Mm-hmm. Or if you just Google Torment in 1960 and press uh, the Tubi link on, you- on Google, it'll just play the Mystery Science Theater version. <laughs> of course it will. Um, another place the effects are spotty is uh, drag me to hell we got that like wonderful goat that starts talking and there's talking animal technology really has not evolved ever i was watching hocus pocus yesterday with um with thackeray binks and it looks about as good as the goat does uh, 10 years later i wouldn't call them bad effects they're definitely over the top effects but they're done so intentionally right and those are fine like any anytime someone like starts bleeding and it's just like fountain like a geyser i'm, I'm here for her. that is my yeah. kind of nonsense mm-hmm. honestly we need more fountains of blood and tormented uh, <laughs> i want an eight-year-old just covered in it honestly that that sounds great i would love a a remake of this <laughs> where it's just like a gore fest oh hey there's another parallel uh, we have this weighty backstory the movie doesn't really get into in both of these mm-hmm. both of these protagonists have a past that we don't really get a full understanding of. Mm -hmm. So, hypothetical scenario. Christine and Gloria swap places. Who do you think fares better? Oh, wow. Um, Like, how would Christine handle being a colossal and how would Gloria handle being a drag me? I think the main difference between Gloria and Christine is Gloria is much more assertive than Christine is. Mm -hmm. 
with that being the case, Gloria probably would not have been put in the situation that Christine is. So I think Gloria would have either lost her job at the bank already due to her drinking slash partying problem, or would already be assertive enough that she doesn't necessarily need to prove herself on Mrs. Ganus's loan extension. Hmm. There's another difference between the two that I think is relevant here in that Gloria, once she starts to see how bad of a person she is, she tries to better herself. She actually wants to be a better person, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, she has some ethics that she pursues and grows the person, whereas Christine does the opposite. Christine, this is like her villain spiral for the movie. The film does its best to show us how good of a person Christine is, and then most of the film is her proving that wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would have handled the kaiju thing as well. I think she, I'm not sure how it would go, but I can imagine her trying to get something out of it. Not, not trying to just like be like, hey, I'm sorry, and then bouncing. Yeah, exactly. Like, Christine definitely has this sort of want for power and influence that the kaiju would have given her. And so she probably would have fallen into a similar pattern that Oscar did. I can see it, yeah. Like, honestly, I think Oscar and Christine would have just dragged each other down. It would have been race to the bottom sort of thing. They would have dragged each other to soul. I feel like Christine didn't want to kill an old lady, whereas I don't know if Gloria would have that problem at a certain point. <laughs> like, once she did the gun thing, I think like Gloria would be like, okay, gloves are off. Yeah. I also think Gloria would have like been more assertive with her boyfriend's parents and also her boyfriend. Yes. Like, Anne Hathaway and Justin Long, like, bickering. That'd be fun. Yeah, that sounds really great. Yeah. But we're not talking about hypothetical problem solving. We're talking about the actual problem solving with our end segment, Final Girl Best Girl. I mean, it has to go to Gloria. Absolutely. She throws a man into space. She gets out of an abusive relationship. She saves a soul. And she also begins to overcome her drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christine does the exact opposite. Yeah. And she indulges more in her problems. She stays in her abusive relationship and her soul is not saved. Christine just dies at the end. Yeah. Or not. So my theory with that is that Christine is not actually dead. She's just in hell while still alive. It's a very slight differentiation, but I like the idea that she can't die because she's in hell and you can't die in hell. So she's just alive down there. So it's somehow even worse. I don't quite see a perceivable difference. The metaphysics in my head make sense, but I can't articulate them. Fair enough. Now here's a question. Better monster in our two older films, Nancy or Vi? Ooh, I'm going to give it to Vi. Vi is like specific and petty and kind of gets what she wants. Whereas Nancy is a blunt instrument. Mm -hmm. She gets big and just starts smashing a hotel. I would agree. Although, hang on, while we're here, which of our two awful men solve the problem better? (laughs) The one who gets grabbed and electrocuted, or the one who falls off a lighthouse? I, 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 I think just... it's nobody wins via forfeit. <laughs> they both suck, and they both suck equally. Yeah. Different ways. Tom is slightly more effective, but that doesn't make him better. Yeah. But now the ultimate question, what's the better film here? I love Drag Me to Hell. I love its schlocky goriness, and I'm really compelled by the fan theory But I think overall Colossal is a stronger film. And when I watched it, I was much more engaged with it than I was when I was watching Drag Me to Hell. I think that there are ways in which uh, Drag Me to Hell might be a better movie, but Colossal is a better film. And Colossal is more of a better film than Drag Me to Hell is a better movie. To use the null paradigm. Drag Me to Hell is more fun. Mm -hmm. 
Cloverfield is also very fun. It yeah. has a lot of ways to be very lighthearted and, and wacky with its very dark premise. Mm-hmm. Partially because the actors are clearly having a great time with it. If the actors were taking it more seriously, it would not work. Yeah. Well, that means that Colossal is moving forward into our final. And Drag Me to Hell is getting gummed. (laughs) 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 I love saying things that everyone hates. But what's up next week? Well, next week we are going to be talking about us and Oculus. Oculus. (laughs) I guess. And our companion films for that are going to be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Naturally, for doppelgangers. And Oculus, The Haunting. Uh, 1963. Not the Catherine Zeta-Jones version. Correct. There are probably other things that are more about being a cursed object, but The Haunting works pretty well for being very related because Mike Flanagan also made The Haunting of Hill House, and also it's about madness and all that jazz. And it's also really fucking good. And also as a woman protagonist. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, like we talked about, Oculus is really just a haunted house movie. Mm -hmm. And also this was a way for me to sneak more queer content into into these things because, dear God, these are movies that do well are usually straight and I'm sad about it. Yeah, it is rather unfortunate. Oh, I think I forgot to mention, Colossal has queers in the background. There are some background gays and it makes me happy. I mean, there's also an illusion at the very end that Gloria might hit something off with the, the Korean bartender. I think it's a stretch, but I'll allow it, because I want it to happen. <laughs> I mean, I saw chemistry there. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> I saw solutions there. <laughs> anyway, if you want more bad puns, and if you want to hear us talk about The Haunting, you should join us next week, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you catch your pods to find out more about that. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Pods Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.